Your weekly look at the new release shelf begins right now. How about something really exciting? New and excitingly different. That's a record. Enjoy the lift you get from the perfect blend of their new album. And they keep dropping, dropping. Today on our show, we explore our archives and look at some of the greatest interviews and performances we've ever had here on the album drop. When Napster started, I was like 12 or something, you know what I mean? It's like, I have absolutely no excuses to complain about that. They need to know that there's other options out there. Like, you know, you don't have to, you know, wear a skimpy outfit to get attention or to be looked at as like an intelligent person. We don't sit around all day trying to rehearse to make sure it sounds exactly like the record. Our songs are a framework for our creativity. From the capital of Canada, you're listening to The Album Drop. Here's Phil Shirakala. And another episode of The Album Drop is on the air. Hello again, everybody. Thanks a lot for tuning in. I'm Phil Shirakawa, broadcasting live today from The Album Drop headquarters, uh, where I have been scouring our, uh, our tape library, looking for some of the coolest interviews and performances and fun things that we've done on this program and we haven't shared since they aired. And that's what we're going to do today. Uh, so let's get right down to business. Uh, a couple years back, I had a chance to talk to Peter from July Talk. And uh, we, we had a great conversation about the business uh, end of music. And uh, I, I asked him uh, about uh, being on the road and uh, how, uh, how, how that works for their band. And this is what he had to say about that. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, I think it's, it becomes more and more so as you keep doing it because as soon as you uh, you come home from the road, there's a million things you have to do, a million people you have to see, a million kind of... Your to-do list kind of explodes. And so being on the road is a really calm thing for me because it's kind of... I just have one thing on my mind and that's the, the show. And and uh, we put a lot of effort into making our show what it is and so now it's kind of really great to be a part of that and to be a part of that because uh, obviously there's so much spontaneity that comes with our show that now being on the road it doesn't get boring um, but at the same time you can kind of have a, yeah that one track mind which is really rewarding now because a lot of times well, any press about your band seems to focus on uh, yourself and Leah how much of it is collaborative and how much of it is uh, the two of you it's pretty collaborative in uh, in in the midst of the five of us. So, um, you know, it's been growing over time, and uh, and obviously writing processes I think develop constantly. And if they're not evolving and developing, they're probably not healthy relationships. But um, but yeah, all five of us write the songs together. I usually or myself or Josh usually comes with a part um, for a song and. Uh, and then Leia writes all of the lyrics that she she sings, and I write all the lyrics that I sing. So we're trying to essentially always be getting closer to like the most honest conversation that that we can present in a musical environment. I think we we are constantly trying to keep the priority um, being that that conversation. I always say that like you can't if you present sort of. A, a true black and white conversation where you present, present two sides of, of an argument or, you know, just a conversation. I think, uh, the gray area in between kind of gets filled in. 
um, just by the context of the people watching the show. And so we really want to create as much of like a pure and honest representation of a sort of male to female conversation. And so the writing style is often caters to that, right? The dynamics have to cater to that. The, 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 the whole project has to be a cohesive structure that lends itself to that priority. Um, so, so the guys all really play to, to that conversation. We all write parts to that conversation. And, uh, and as long as that stays first and foremost, then we feel like we're kind of doing our jobs and we're able to kind of present an interesting and dynamic live show. Uh, and, uh, and yeah, just keep developing the live show. I mean, I think we kind of took a big step at our North by North show, uh, with like some stage design stuff. Um, and, uh, we had kind of thousands and thousands of feathers kind of fall from the ceiling. And, uh, there's things like that that I'd really like to develop. So I think by the end of the year, I'd like to be able to make our live show a bit more of a live show, especially when we've become sort of, uh, so comfortable with being on the stage and so at home there that I feel like we really have to bring more to the table for, for the crowd. And, uh, and, you know, as soon as I always say that as soon as you get paid more for a live show, you better be doing more. Um, you know, you can't just like get on the stage and pull on your guitar and play your songs. Cause I think that that's just kind of cheaping out. So it seemed, uh, it's really important to us that we bring something to the table that, that people aren't expecting. And that like, it's just a show, man. It's entertainment. You got to put on a show and, and they, these people have paid for you and you owe them, you know, a really great show. Why do you think so many bands are, are into the whole, just standing there and playing their songs exactly as they sound like on their record? Because it really feels really cool. <laughs> Like it's so easy, it's fun. It's like I, I love it. I mean, I've played in bands for years. You know, it feels great to be out there with the guitar and people. You know, because no one's calling home about it. You know, and there's a lot of stadium bands and a lot of bands that play bigger, bigger places that that bring more of the table, and people commend them for that. And uh, and there's also something to be said for like there's a purist. How do you want to say this? So you're kind of opening up a can of worms. I don't want to get you too far into it, but but uh, but there's a purest way to look at music <clears throat> that I think is important, especially for some bands that it's about the listening experience, about creating good music, and the performance comes second. Um, and I think uh, I think I, I I'm always of the mind that. Again, sorry, it's kind of where I'm going to choose my words correctly. Uh, it's like when people, you turn on the radio and people are always talking about how the world is changing and the the, uh, the record industry is changing. It's so hard to sell records, you know, these things. I was born in like 1988. So like when Napster started, I was like 12 or something. You know what I mean? It's like I have absolutely no excuses to complain about that. I was never involved in any sort of record industry that that made money in the traditional way. Now, obviously people are still reacting. There's a huge amount of money that was lost and I really feel bad for that. And that sucks. But for my personal feeling, it's like with the live show, you have to bring so much to the table because you, you want to, to show these people, everything's DIY, you know? And, 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 and if these people are openly saying, here's, you know, my $15, you know, put on a show. It's like, 
I'm not going to get on that stage and not put on a show. And I think that you have to progress. You can, you can start by just holding a guitar and having fun, but uh, you really want to bring something to the table. And, and then on top of that, you know, with like video content, with all these things that we're putting out, we're trying to get, we're just really trying to like, you know, push the envelope as best we know how. And, uh, and we never want to want to tread water. And I think it's, it's important for us to stay close with how fast everything else is going. The album dropped. second pressing of their debut LP, July Talk and Head Sick, here on the album drop. And uh, that conversation with Peter you can hear in full at the interview section of our website, thealbumdrop.ca. This is episode 370 of this program, uh, the fourth in our series uh, from the archives. Uh, you can stream or download most of them at our website, thealbumdrop.ca. I'm Phil Shurikawa. Thanks a lot for listening. And from one Toronto band to another, uh, we were lucky enough to have uh, the members of Magnetic Lane here in the studio with us um, a couple years back now. Um, but we had a great talk, uh, primarily uh, with Lexi, uh, the front woman of the band. We talked a lot about recording and the business of music and uh, a fair bit about you know, being a, a young band with a ton of experience and all female members and uh, what that's like as compared to uh, you know, maybe being a band um, that has all dudes, like 
most bands out there. It was a very engaging conversation, and uh, we were lucky enough to have them play for us, too. And this is what that sounded like. Where did the name uh, for the EP Witch Rock come from? Um, well, we were all in the studio one day uh, with our producers, uh, um, Rick and James, um, who are also in the band Finger Eleven, and they also, they're really great songwriters, and, um, I mean, actually, they helped me a lot, like, okay, they helped us a lot, sorry, with our, <laughs> with, with our songwriting, but, um, when we were in the studio, we, like, there's a really good dynamic in the studio, and they were constantly joking around, and one of the things that happened, uh, when we were recording, uh, Burn, um, they made the comment that it sounded really witchy, and in the past, I guess, like, people had always kind of, like, taken a poke at us, like, saying, like, oh, you guys, you know, you guys are, like, are you guys witches? And, you know, I don't know if it was lack for a better word. Maybe they really meant something else. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, we just thought it'd be fun and funny to kind of shed light on that and call it Witch Rock. So it's, it wasn't something that was meant to be taken, um, like, as, like, a serious, like, kind of like a death metal band thing. Like, let's call it Witch Rock. It was just more, like, something for fun because, I mean, you know, if you were to listen to our music, we don't really sound like you know, Godsmack or anything like that. So, yeah, just to poke fun at it, I guess. Yeah, because, I mean, as hard as the, your band does actually rock, it doesn't really sound like it would be appropriate around the cauldron. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, how did you get involved with the guys from Finger Eleven? Um, we all met at a party uh, through a mutual friend, and, um, yeah, it was, uh, I don't know, as soon as we met them, we just kind of started bonding over music. And uh, immediately we found out that despite the fact that like our like our bands obviously sound very very different, we had a lot of the same tastes in music. And they were a band that you know they you know had that whole thing going on like in the '90s, and we basically grew up listening to that stuff. So it was really cool to be able to kind of like you know bond over you know bands like uh, you know like uh, Garbage and a lot of female fronted bands too that were really popular you know back in their heyday. And um, so I don't know, we just kind of felt like. Like, I don't know, like we had been, we just bonded really quickly over that. And then once it got into the studio, once it got into the songwriting part and just kind of collaborating, like it just felt really natural and everybody was really relaxed and, you know, it's just a cool environment to be in. Now, from what I understand, uh, this EP is pretty much self-released. Yeah. Um, as compared to previous works, which had not been. Yeah. Can you maybe kind of compare and contrast the two and um, I guess, or at least tell us how different it is to be doing it on your own? Oh, man. Um it's a lot of work behind the scenes that not everybody really gets to see. I think, like, when we were really young, it's like you're kind of naive to, like, what goes on because your label kind of takes care of everything for you, right? But, I mean, we had been in the game for about, like, ten, like almost 10 years at that point when we decided to make that decision. And then E1 stepped in and, you know, they've been amazing. You know, they're, they're distributing it for us and been helping us along the way as well. Um, and, uh, yeah, I don't know. We just like it is very different in the sense that there's a lot of kind of like sweat and blood and tears that goes into it. And you're not really protected from the business side of it, opposed to like when you're, you know, a 16, 15 year old girl on a record label. Like nobody really tells you like, you know, I guess like how the business side of it works. Um, so, yeah, it's very different. But I think it's also like a good step forward as a band because, I mean, you can't really be in a band for the as long as we have been without learning that side of the business, you know, and I think a lot of bands break up because things get quite complicated. So it's definitely been an eye opener and it almost feels good because it's like, you know, you're you're doing it yourself, you know, so it really feels like that kind of, you know, DIY kind of attitude towards things. And that's basically how we started our band as well. So it's cool to incorporate that into the business side of it. Do you think it's important to uh, t 
kind of have that kind of control, or is there a scenario where you can kind of just <laughs> give it up and just be like, okay, um, you know, somebody else takes care of it? Um, well, I think it's like right now, like I mean, like we're still like an like an indie band, like we consider ourselves like you know like like a small indie band, you know, and um, kind of the band that you know people have kept in their back pocket for a really long time, and people constantly tell us all the time, like you know, do you feel like you guys are one of the most like underrated bands like in Canada, that sort of thing, but. I mean, if it were to ever get out of control, you know, like where it's like, because I think one of the things that is really hard is, you know, having to go on tour, having to make sure that deadlines are met and then, you know, running the business side of it, making sure that everything is accounted for. And it's you're basically playing every single role like on a record label, like as a band. So, yeah, like if it ever got like really huge, then I mean, obviously, like, you know, you'd probably need to call someone in to like help you out. But I think for now it works and you know, we'll just hope for the best and see how it plays out. You know, you had made uh, reference earlier to, um, you know, people referencing the group being all female, mm-hmm. uh, the whole <laughs> witch rock thing. Do you think there's any kind of stigma towards female groups? Or uh, maybe, like, is it anything from, like, a, you know, a bias in the media to maybe, like, a glass ceiling or anything like that? Uh, or even just as far as being, you know, mentioned in your press as an all-female group or, mm-hmm. you know, any kind of gender-specific uh, sub defiance or anything like that it's funny because um i think like back to you know because when we started we were so young one of the questions we always got asked were are you guys like feminists right and i mean at 16 when you get asked that question like you don't even really know what that means you know you're just like no like there's like all this stuff attached to that like i don't really know and i don't want to own up to it kind of thing but as you get older, um, and especially now, like, I think what's going on right now, like, with women, it's it's really interesting because I really feel like, you know, it's, um, I mean, people have always been, like, vocal about how women are represented in the media, but I think right now it's, like, more people are more open to talk about that sort of stuff. And um, so, yeah, in ways, like, you know, we do have that way of thinking where, you know, we stand for, you know, what we are. We are women, and, and we're excited to be women, and it's not something to, you know, be ashamed about. But I do think that... In today's media, there is definitely certain, you know, role models that, you know, younger girls are looking up to. And they're seeing that as like the only option because that's what's constantly being kind of like shoved down their throat. And like for us, I think just the most important thing is that they need to know that there's other options out there. Like, you know, you don't have to, you know, wear a skimpy outfit to get attention or to be looked at as like an intelligent person or, you know, like sacrifice whatever morals you have, like, you know, just to sell a couple of records. And, you know, like if at one point I ever, like we ever made the decision to maybe be a little sexier, which would never happen, but, <laughs> but if we ever did, like it would be on our terms because that's what we want to do. Not because a record label told us to show a little bit more cleavage or whatever, you know, like that's, that's never, happening. yeah, that's never gonna happen. No. Um, but you know what I'm saying though? It's like, I just, like, if anything, like, that's how it plays an important role to us as a band. Like, we just want girls to know that there are different options, that you can be intelligent, that you can be in a band, that you can run your own business, that you can do whatever it is. You know, it's like you are the maker of your own destiny, as cheesy as that sounds, but, you know, it's true. Do you think there's anything wrong with groups and or acts that market themselves more for what they are and not necessarily who they are? Like, <laughs> like a lot of, I, I hate to, like, a lot of female yeah fronted groups do or female yeah groups do i think like it's that's definitely more of like a i guess like what you prefer personally like for me personally like it's like if i look at bands that are female fronted like let's say like girl in a coma and like uh you know a band like dead sarah or bands like 
I don't know, just like female fronted bands where girls don't necessarily have to show cleavage and do all that stuff. Like you look at that girl like fronting those bands and you're just like, wow, like she's hot and like she doesn't have to be doing that stuff, you know? Um, personally, that's like the kind of, I guess like if I were to choose what kind of band I do like when it comes to that sort of thing, it's like that is, those are the bands that I prefer. Um, I'm not going to go out, out of my way and buy the next Miley Cyrus record because, you know, she was shaking her like on TV a couple of days ago, but I'm all for, you know, like if that's what you want to do, you know, if that's what you really want to do and somebody didn't tell you to do that to sell a couple of records then you know, do your thing, like whatever, like it's not me, you know? So like, I can't really, it's kind of like, I can't really judge someone, but do I necessarily agree with it? Not really, but at the same time, it's really their bed that they're making. So they're going to lie in it. It's really, you know, not my world of stuff, but yeah, like, I would prefer if girls went about it a different way, but if that's what, you know, makes them feel actually good about themselves, then I can't really judge, you know. Is there such a thing as bad press? <sighs> oh, God, I hate that expression that, like, no, no, pr- what is that? Uh, all yeah, press is good press. Yeah, some people can be mean. Yeah. Especially There's today with, uh, you know, press. Twitter and stuff like that. It's like, it, it, it doesn't even necessarily have to be a journalist or anybody even yeah. who, who is respected, anyone, yeah. but they can say something and it can get retweeted and all of a sudden it's taken as fact. Yeah. And it's crazy, though, too, like, how, um, like, I've noticed this more, like, I, I mean, again, just, like, being on the business side of it now, it's, like, how you realize how many things are actually fabricated to get attention. Like, I mean, we're, n- we're not the band that goes about things that way, and I think a lot of indie bands probably well, we aren't that. Lie about our age well, that started. was more to just play the shows, but not to get, <laughs> like, media attention, because we just wanted to play and not yeah, get carded. <laughs> um, but, um like, I think that part of it is, is sad because then you start to kind of question everything. Like, is that real? Is it not real? You know, like back in the day when you saw your first reality show, you're like, oh my God, I can't believe this shit is happening. But when you actually see that it's like everything is scripted now, you're just like, it's like, what am I even consuming anymore? Like, does this make sense? So I don't know. I think it's important to be honest. Um, yeah. And that's that. I think sometimes being honest is what has gotten us in trouble in the past, you know? So I don't know. We'll continue to do so. <laughs> but at the same time, is it is there like a like a positive feeling to know that your integrity is still in place? Yeah, like you can sleep at night, you know, and it's like, I mean, there's definitely we've been through a lot of rough times as a band. You know, I think like any band who's been around for as long as we have, like definitely has. Yeah, it, it's it's good to know. Like, you know, when you get that email from the young girl, that's like, you know, I'm really, really glad that there's girl bands around like you guys. Like that makes you feel really good. You know, like I don't feel like I have to compromise anything to prove a point. Absolutely. Yeah. Hi, I'm Lexi from a band called Magneta Lane. We're from Toronto. I'm going to do an acoustic version of one of our songs. The song is called Lucky. I'm one of a kind. You're the typical girl. Hoping that one day you'll change him and you'll be his world. Jealousy Cause baby, the truth it doesn't sting And when he kissed you, did he love you? Could you see the life in his eyes? And when he holds you, does he know you? Or is he keeping me somewhere inside? you feel like 
trying too hard you have big shoes to fill while you live on an episode of this program magneta lane and lucky here on the album drop stick around folks because when we return more classic interviews and performances from the archives of this great show you don't want to miss any of it it's all going to happen right after this stay tuned your home for new music will be right back why not use this opportunity to visit thealbumdrop.ca this here's a jam for all the fellas. Try to do what those ladies tell us. The album drop continues right now. Here's your host, Phil Shurikawa. See this needle? Music from a band that takes up more space on my record shelf than any other, Pearl Jam. Spin the Black Circle. That one from the uh, self-pollution radio show that they did uh, to promote the release of Vitology back in 1995. So uh, it all kind of comes around. Welcome back to the album drop. I'm Phil Shurikawa. And uh, today we're exploring the uh, sonic archives of this program, sharing some of the best interviews and performances. And the reason I played that tune uh, it's because uh, I was walking through the mall on the weekend. Um, I'm, uh, I don't want to give out a free promo to the mall, but uh, let's just say uh, it was near a bay and a shore. And I happened to uh, walk into Sunrise Records, uh, one of the newer stores in that mall. Um, and it reminded me of the conversation I had with the president of that company, Doug Putnam, about their plans for record store domination uh, in this country, and I felt uh, this would be an appropriate time to share that with you once again. So here we go. Um, your company has been in the news over the last few weeks, understandably so, uh, as uh, you've uh, started to acquire uh, the HMV locations that uh, have uh, seemingly um, started to turn around over the last few weeks. How did this? Uh, how did this start to happen um, for Sunrise Records? Well, I bought the chain two years ago, and uh, we. Uh, always added new locations that we thought would be good for us. And 
Uh, in January, we heard the news of HMV and got together as a team and uh, discussed basically, you know, here's the time. Do we want to do a, a large expansion or do we want to stick with what we have? And uh, overwhelmingly, the, the team really wanted to go forward and expand. So we uh, we started going out to landlords and suppliers and, and seeing uh, if everyone had interest in us moving forward and taking over as many locations as we could, and, and they all did. Do you, do you have an idea yet as to uh, how many locations um, you'll uh, be expanding with? Yeah, I mean, it's going to be a minimum of 70. Um, I'm sure, you know, it'll be right around that, maybe a little bit more. And, and it's all going to kind of happen pretty much at once, right? Yeah, we're going to start opening stores uh, beginning of April, and we should be done opening stores in July. Now, how many um, stores uh, before uh, acquisition uh, did the chain have? Ten. So this is a pretty big expansion for your company. It definitely, it's a massive expansion for sure. So without giving too much away, obviously, what's the line of thinking for um, this massive expansion? Is it? I, I guess the question I'm asking here is, how does any business tackle such a, a large amount of growth in such a short period of time? Well, I mean, for one, you definitely need to have the, the finances. Uh, and I've been uh, lucky enough to have done well in a lot of the other businesses that uh, that I own. So, um, so one definitely need to have the the financial uh, wherewithal to to do it. And then you know it's it's important to get um, the right people in place. And so we've been doing a lot of hiring over the last month uh, just to get the the best people that we can to to manage this uh, massive expansion for us. All right now. Um, obviously, you know, Sunrise Records maybe not as well known in this part of the country as uh, in other parts, uh, even of Ontario. Certainly, a, a chain that's been around for a while. Did you face any resistance from landlords and uh, management companies when uh, you, you know, especially in in locations where Sunrise had been previously, when you kind of called up and said, "Hey, we'll take uh, the space." You know what? O- overall, everybody was very positive and uh, really didn't get a lot of pushback. Um, I think most people really. Uh, believe that there needed to be someone across the country that was carrying physical uh, music, physical entertainment products, um, and that, you know, it was culturally very important for Canada. And so really, uh, it was it, that part was uh, probably the easiest part. The, the support was there right away. So now the the, the big question, because um, I've been very excited to talk to you today, I've been telling everybody here at the office, and the big question that everybody wanted me to ask is, uh, do you realize you're in the business of selling recorded music in 2017? <laughs> yeah, you know, I get asked that a lot. Definitely. Uh, look, you know, you still have to remember HMV did over $200 million in sales last year. So still a very big number. Um, so as much as everybody talks about the death of, of physical uh, music product, you know, it, there's still a long way before that happens. And, uh, we actually have a belief that we're going to see a resurgence and, and that, you know, look, you can stream and you can buy digital, but you own nothing. There's nothing tangible when you have that. Um, you can buy a, a piece of vinyl, you can buy a CD, a DVD, and you've got something that you'll be able to have forever. Um, it's not a matter of what device you have or this or that. You, you'll always have that physical piece of, of music. And so we think that's a, a critical thing. And, uh, we believe more and more people are going to go back to physical. 
I mean, I know that, that, that as it does it for me, hopefully uh, for, for your sake, that, that that is the case. The one thing that I've noticed uh, from analyzing sales numbers uh, over the last couple of years, the main uh, driver for physical sales uh, in this country and in this continent generally is vinyl. And from what I uh, from what I've been reading um, about the, this uh, this acquisition is that vinyl is a big part of your sales um, technique. Would that be a fair statement? hundred percent. You know, vinyl is definitely double digit growth every year. Uh, and for us, it's something that we focus very heavily on. So a hundred percent, it definitely is a big focus for us. Now, definitely one of the big drivers for uh, the vinyl resurgence is Record Store Day, which your company has been involved with in the past. Um, have, sure. have you had a chance to talk to them about your expansion? Do you still qualify to be a, a seller for Record Store Day? Yeah, we still qualify. I mean, we're independently owned, um, and that's one of the, the requirements of it. So definitely, I mean, you got to remember, we brought Record Store Day to Canada. Uh, we were the ones that spearheaded it and actually got it into Canada, um, and we're still a big supporter of it. Uh, and we think it's obviously a, just a phenomenal event, and we think it's great for everyone. Now, the people here in Ottawa uh, are, are probably quite curious to know, uh, which HMB locations in the uh, 613 Ottawa area uh, d- will you be taking over, or, or, or are you still kind of negotiating some of those terms? Yeah, I mean, with some of them, uh, we're, we're uh, negotiating on, but, you know, we're, uh, we're, our belief is we'll have two to three locations uh, in Ottawa. All will be announced by the end of this week. So the only ones that you can confirm right now are Plast Orleans and Gallery de Hall, correct? Correct, um, but uh, I can say... Uh, I'll be surprised if there's not uh, another uh, couple locations. And are you still? Uh, so, I, from what I understand, most of your locations are mall uh, scenarios. Is that is that kind of the uh, the comfort the comfort zone for you guys? Or are you looking to expand out into uh, uh, locations that are outside of uh, shopping mall type scenarios? Uh, at this point, we're uh, very focused on the mall format locations, um, but always open to looking at uh, other options as well. Doug, um, thank you so much for doing this. I really appreciate talking to you, and I'm super stoked to, because uh, I mean, I can tell you um, myself, I mean, I know this was before you uh, took over, but when I was a kid growing up in St. Catharines, uh, I'd go to the Penn Center, and the where, where we would park was always right by the sunrise, and I always found that, that just the, the, the staff was more knowledgeable, uh, the selection was better, and the prices were fair, so I'm super stoked to uh, see this uh, being a thing, and most importantly, stoked to have more options uh, to purchase uh, physical music. So thank well, you for doing this. We really appreciate it, and thanks for having us on. Greatly appreciate the support. Facebook, Twitter, we're everywhere. Who else but the album drop?
Going back to the Perfect Fit EP from 1980, that's the Tweeds and I Need That Record. Seemed appropriate. It's the album drop. I'm Phil Shurikow, and we are exploring the archives here today. Thanks a lot for tuning in. Uh, last year, we had a chance to talk to a great band out of Toronto called Darenauts. Uh, they actually played for us, too. Uh, we talked a little bit about business and uh, touring and that sort of thing, and this is what that sounded like. My first question, uh, right off the top, uh, because uh, you know I, I've seen you perform, and you guys you know, kind of performed all over the place, but what I've noticed is that you play a lot of shows uh, in, in the U.S., and I, I, I've always been curious, is it, is it the same? In America. America. Um, oh, excuse me, in America. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and uh, so is it is it the same kind of vibe going to a show there as it is in Canada? Because I've always heard that it's it's a little bit different, but maybe that's just... Not only is it different, well, for me anyway, not only is it different in the States, it's different in every section of the States that you go to. So it's, you're not going to get, like, the same party in Cali as you're going to get in, like, Texas. Yeah. Right? It's, like, a whole different vibe, a whole different love for music. But we bring the party, so... All right. Yeah, so... No, get closer now. <laughs> now you're now you're self-conscious. You're trying to figure <laughs> out. I mean, it's, it's... Yeah, like you said, it's different in every place. But, I mean, I don't know. You kind of make the best of it, whether it is, you know, five people, 500 people. We always have a good time, so it's... And also, the difference is in Canada, some of our friends are there. Uh, in the States, no one knows who the f*** we... Uh, can we swear? You yeah, did. you just did. <laughs> no one knows who of the fiddle D we are. So, uh, you know, in, uh, in Canada, it's a lot of fun sometimes when you get all your people coming out. Um, yeah, I'm going to stop. <laughs> no, yeah, the States is dope. Yeah, yeah States is dope. Like, it's, it's awesome just because, at least on the last tour that we went on for the past three weeks, we ended up going to States that we've never actually been to before. So the bands that we are actually touring with are like kind of strictly reggae bands and for our type of music and sound it's it's a curveball with people expecting just reggae music but seeing people vibe into like like big bass beats and like kind of like trap influences like alternative it's nice and at least the turnouts were pretty good cuz the band we were touring with Ballyhoo and the Hold Up they they brought a pretty decent uh crowd with them and honestly I'd have to say the sta- the only difference with the states is that the music scene is more lively, I guess, because there's way more humans like there. Like bigger, yeah. Way more humans. So does the eclecticness of your sound make it easier to be relatable, or do you think it's more of an obstacle that people can't necessarily put you in a box? Well, it's kind of fun when people start a mosh pit at a reggae show. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it's usually, wanna... usually, like, it takes a... F- for a crowd that isn't expecting it... Like like CJ was saying, it takes them like first two songs to kind of like process what the hell what the hell is happening, and then, but but what we do notice is always as the show continues, people are coming to the stage and are interested in it. Where it's like, you know, sometimes it could be a little bit of a turnoff. For us, it's been pretty positive. Mm -hmm. We honestly don't know what we're gonna get when we go on stage, right? Because it's like you said, it's so eclectic. So you know, we don't know if people are gonna what the reaction is going to be, but it's been extremely positive, you know, so far. So, you know, <laughs> we're just loving it. All right. What's the best part about uh, playing shows outside of um, your home base? Jimmy. Um, just obviously getting to see new places all the time. I get to see Checked Out the Grand Canyon. Oh, yeah. That was badass. Um, the weather is awesome. California. Love it. Escaping the winter. Yeah. 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 We need to do that. We need to strategize yeah, just that. Like, just like, when it comes, we go, we go F off for, yeah. for three months to Cali. Change totally. your name to the Canadian geese. Yeah. <laughs> just follow their path. 
Oh, that's another thing. It's good that in the States, uh, everyone thinks it's really, you know, cool when you say A. You just, they all get all giddy and flustered when you say it by accident. And they're like, okay, I get it. <laughs> Especially when Rev says it. Hey. <laughs> okay. right. Oh, God. <laughs> On the other end of the side, though, then, uh, what, what, what are some of the challenges that, uh, that face a band, let's say, of your stature when you're out touring? Like where? Just in the states or in general? Well, just away from home. Just you know, being on the road, that being exposed, that kind of thing. Crossing the border is always a friggin' mission, but it's like, uh, yeah. It's the Canadian just, dollar kind of sucks. Yeah, the Canadian dollar really sucks. So, I, so getting paid in Americans not too bad. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, it's awesome. We could each have a Big Mac meal yeah. rather than sharing it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You'd be so surprised. Yeah. I actually don't know. Share fries easily. Everything's with Big huge. Macs. CJ no. likes his Big Macs. Oh uh, yeah, no. I, honestly, right no. This, this. Yeah. this is this is a at least that tour. Midnight, that tour was the, the midnight uh, Mac tour. Yeah, that, that, the midnight Mac tour. That totally was. <laughs> you, you, you could get a tape done for about a fifth of the cost to get the. You vinyl heard first. it here first. You're <laughs> <laughs> selling your tape services. Well, I, I'm not, but I I know a guy, so we'll talk yeah. after. C H U O C H U O. So, um, you guys, uh, you guys are you're on tour for the pretty much the rest of the summer, right? From what I understand, mid-August we're gonna go do the East Coast once again, back in the states from Boston to Florida, and then yeah, and then uh, come back. Yeah, sort of summer is pretty. Tour. Yeah, it, it is. It's busy for sure. So, what do you guys do when you're not uh, playing shows, rehearsing, re- recording, or on the road, or anything like that? What do you uh, how do you how do you pass the time in uh, in regular life? I do a lot of math, long division, <laughs> a lot of that. I pour uh, drinks for people and listen to their stories. I watch documentaries and I just try to feel really smart as if I like read years of books and old YouTube clip. Uh, I like to skateboard. Yeah. The like skater on down, boy. On the downtime. Yeah, Jimmy has a sick brand too. He's coming vacay, out with vacay, the clothing vacay. company. Vacay, man. V-A-C-A, V-A-C-A. Yeah. Check it out. The movement. Well, it's, it's nice to know that you guys are able to actually like do stuff outside of, um, cause I mean, obviously this is this this is where your passion is and and you know by by watching you guys play it, it's it's very clear to see this is what you're into but obviously you're you, you're human beings and there's there's got to be more to it so it's it's nice that you can actually not even have to stress about that answer so that, that was really cool for yeah. me <laughs> um what do you do yeah, I was about to say, when, you're not, when, you, when, you, when you don't have the radio voice going oh i'm uh, how do you sound? so i i i got a i got a kid he's almost three whoa nice and, um, that's uh, that. That's pretty much all of my free time. What's his name? <laughs> it's awesome. His name is Colin. He actually used to co-host this show with me for yes! about six months. Yes! Shout out nice. to Colin. What's yeah. up, Colin? What's up, boy? It, uh, it he he was a terrible co-host, but he was fantastic for morale around the stage. <laughs> <laughs> all right, sweet. So we are Dare Nots, and this song is called Nine One One.
and see Tripping around the, tripping around the and 911 recorded live on the album drop thanks a lot for listening to our show i'm phil shurikawa and the last piece of tape i want to pull for you today comes from an interview i did with gordy johnson from the band baked sugar uh at the time they were promoting a record uh, of acoustic tunes that they did in a tour that they were doing about that and uh this is what he had to say in regards to that. We've always done this. We've just done it for ourselves. We had always just used it sort of as a rehearsal format or, you know, if you go to a radio station and play one song, it's easier to just carry a banjo and a couple of drums. So it's just something we've sort of kept to ourselves. And I, I guess on a tour maybe two years ago, we looked at each other at a radio station and just thought, can you imagine if this was the whole tour, just playing a banjo and a harmonica and a bunch of guys playing hand drums and rolling down the road like that, wouldn't that be great? And I'm kind of half joking, but, you know, that's the way we govern ourselves is we decided once upon a time, hey, let's do a dub record and just do a reggae tour. So we did it. Why not? You know, it's just you only do music because you love it. So 
we we love that idea. So we made a record and told our agent, hey, man, uh, this is what we're going to do. We're going to book a tour. Surprise. <laughs> Would it be fair to, um, to, to kind of take from that then that the, um, the regular, I guess the stereotypical Big Sugar format was part of the reason why the band kind of went away for a little while was because it was time to do something different? Um, no, at the, at, the, at the point where we where we split up and took a break for a while, I just felt like it had it had done every it, we had said everything we were going to say. But not like we were out of ideas, but I just felt like we were out of ideas together, and that the industry wasn't really, you know, the industry was pretty convulsive at that point in time because you had Napster and downloading and the internet and all this stuff was new, and the record companies were crumbling and. When you have a bunch of really panicky, scared people, they make panicky, scared decisions. And I was like, oh, man, I just don't want any part of it. So I just retreated away from all of that. I thought, you know what? We'll sprout up. We'll sprout up fresh out of the ground, out of the ashes of all that. We'll just wait till the storm blows over, you know. And thankfully now that's not a thing we have to worry about anymore. Well, yeah, we just never, hey, we, you know, we weren't worried about it the first time, so I wasn't about to start. And uh, so now we can just go back to doing what we were doing, which is making making music that we think is cool and, and that we enjoy playing, and I'm sure people will agree with us. Tell me, as a, uh, as a musician, as a songwriter, um, what goes into reinterpreting songs like Turn the Lights On when you, uh, you know, put it down uh, for this record? You know, we honestly did not put a single thought into any of it. Uh, just, I know that it, it's not because we didn't, we don't care, and it wasn't like a, a flippant kind of thing. We're, we're not, we're not, we're not like other girls. We're not like other bands. You know, like we don't, we don't sit around all day trying to rehearse to make sure it sounds exactly like the record. Our songs are a framework for our, for our creativity. You know, it's a skeletal kind of thing where as long as you hit certain markers so that people recognize it as the song that it is, we're, we're the owners of it. We're open to interpret it any way we like. You know, I mean, that's, that comes from part of our jazz background and our folk music background and even our reggae music background. Those are all formats where you're expected to interpret the traditions and make them like you breathe life into these things every time you do them and I, I look at our music and hold it up to those same standards you know where okay that's a great framework for a song turn the lights on I don't care what what the recording sounded like from 1998 it was 1998 when we play it every night I'm not thinking about 1998 I'm thinking about right now if the song stops having relevance to me then how can I expect it to be relevant to the people I'm playing it for? You know what I'm saying? You're listening to The Album Drop.
Yard style Big Sugar and Turn the Lights On, the acoustic version of it. Thanks to all the bands and uh, artists and music makers that uh, I talked to over the course of the last few years to help make this show a possibility. This has been the album drop. Thanks a lot for listening. I'm Phil Shurikawa. We'll be back in seven days with a brand new episode. Till then, like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, connect with us on Instagram, and visit our website, thealbumdrop.ca, to stream all of our past episodes. Till next week. Thanks for listening. Smell you later. This whole thing has gone on long enough. Bye. Have a beautiful time. If you missed anything or just can't get enough, check out thealbumdrop.ca. I'll be back. When will this insanity end? Can I finish? Please, can I finish? We'll be back next week. Okay, I'm finished.